0: Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, and I'm going to read through verse 13. I will briefly remind you of the two points I made last week. I believe there were two. Okay, and then I'll go on to the other four. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, Also Sunday evening we had a very uh, great message to the uh, people who were being ordained. Uh, on ordination, and, and I think that was very complementary to uh, what we did in the morning and what we're going to continue to do uh, uh, now. Now, I made several points that I want to emphasize again really briefly, and then we're going to move on. Last week, I talked about the point that, you know, I'm going to cut this off. I talked about um, he who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Those are the words of Jesus, even though he was speaking specifically about stewardship. I think all of life for a Christian is stewardship. We have absolutely nothing of our own. You don't even own yourself. You belong to God if you are a Christian. And therefore, God is not looking for you to give him only 10% of yourself. God is not looking for only 10% of your money. It's not looking for only 10% of your time. It's not looking for only 10% of your gifts or your talents, or whatever it is. God is looking for you to give him a 100% of yourself. So you cannot give 10% to the church and spend 90% in a way that is not accepted to the will of God. If it is not acceptable to the will of God, you may give 10%, but you're still in the wrong 90%. And you know what that means if you take a test? And you get 10 out of 100. Now you've gone to flunkers field. Okay? So it's really important we understand that God is not looking for you to give him only 10% of your life. He wants you to give him 100%. In fact, that 10% is a misunderstanding of tithing by us. The average Jew has given 23% required. That's including a trip to Jerusalem, at least once in their lifetime. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Australia and you're a Jew, you have to take a trip to Jerusalem at least once in your lifetime. That's part of your giving of yourself to God. So today we just think, well, as long as I open my wallet or my checkbook and I give 10%, I'm all right with God. What I do with the rest is my business. No. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and who? All that dwell, everything in it. Okay, so God expects you to be faithful in whatever he gives you. Are you with me? Okay, I want to hear something. If, you, if, you, if you're hearing what I'm saying, you know, because it is really important for us to understand this: that God holds us responsible for our responsibility to Him, what we make to Him. If God knows you cannot handle ten dollars, you think He's going to give you ten thousand? Maybe that's why you've been wondering why, you know, you can buy all the lottery tickets you're going to buy. You're not going to win a thing. Because God knows what you're doing with the thousand he gave you. A lot of people come to pastor, when I have a lot of money, I'm going to bless the church. We're going to build our business. I said, liar. You can't even tithe right now. So it's important. If you're faithful in the very... It doesn't matter what God gave you. If he gave you 20,000, be faithful in that. If he gave you 10,000, be faithful in that. If he gave you 5,000, be faithful in that. If all he gave you is the gift of evangelism, be faithful in that. Use whatever God has given you and he's going to bless you in much. But if you're not faithful... With that very little he's giving you, who's going to trust you? He can't trust you with any more. Okay, the second point that I made, and this is real quick too, is that if God has called you to preach, it does not automatically translate that he has called you to pastor. There's absolutely nowhere in the Bible where you're gonna get that. There are different kinds of ministries. There's evangelists, and you know, and I made the point last week and I'm not gonna go over it again. And I believe that the reason why too many people say God has called them to pastor or God has called them to preach is because we lift that gift above every other gift. That's where we've made the mistake. And too many people who should be selling corn are selling mango. You're in the wrong trade. You're selling the wrong fruit. And we're going to go deeper into that. Anyway, the first point was the point that all Christians are called to the ministry. All Christians are ministers. But a minister has to have a ministry. Maybe the reason why you don't know you're a minister is because you don't have a ministry. You're not doing anything. And we read First Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. For you are a what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who has called you out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. The you in there is not Deacon J. The you in there is not minister soul or pastor soul or what? No, it's not Reverend Doctor, so and so. No, it is you, a Christian, for you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous eyes. So we made the point also that everybody in here is called to preach. The Greek word for preaching is keruso, declaring the good news. Speaking the good news. And there is absolutely no one who has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior who is excluded from telling the good news. That's the gospel. That's why if somebody has said God has called them to preach and I put them up to preach and they start here, their first sermon is on tithing, it's a sign to me they weren't called. That's not the gospel. Tithing is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect God and man came down from glory, came here and took on your sin, took on my sin, was nailed to the cross, not because of his own sin, but because of our sin, and on that cross, he accomplished everything, from before the foundation of the world, not only that, but that they put him in the grave, but the grave could not hold him. The good news is, we don't serve a dead God, we serve a risen God. We serve a God who said, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. That's the God we serve. And that's the gospel. And the second point I made last week, was that only a small number is called to the preaching or to the pastoral ministry? Amen. How, what you, what will you do if someone came in here and he has twenty hands, no eyes? We can't say they have nose or mouth. Then he won't be able to breathe, right? See somebody coming here with 20 hands and the head is shaped differently from yours because there are no eyes and no ears. I mean, see Some of you sitting comfortably right now will be the first to dash out. In fact, you'll be using the other exit. We have many strange churches. Everybody want to be the nose. So you have the big nose, buddy. I know I do have a big nose, don't I? But well, at least one. <laughs> you know, so th- this, is, this is what is wrong with the church. Everybody want to be a preacher. Everybody want to be the pastor. No, that's not what God has called you to be. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, this church will never be what God called it to be. And it's going to die a natural, or I should not say natural, unnatural death. Really? Because when your lungs give up, it doesn't matter how strong your heart is. You're not going to behave, you're not going to work naturally. It's not going to be normal. No. So that is why it's really important for us to understand this. God has people in the church different. We all have different gifts. We all have different ministries that God has given to us. That is why you should not criticize everybody because they're not doing what you're doing. Are you still with me? Okay, let's move to the third point, which you didn't hear yet. We're talking about the call to preaching and the call to be a pastor. There was a young preacher. He was very young when we started preaching. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he's basically made this statement. If you can do something else, you can be happy doing that thing, God has not called you to preach. If God has called you to preach, you must have that intense and all-absorbing desire for the work of the ministry. That means you don't just have a title. It has to be an all-absorbing, intense desire. Some of you think I love rice. And my wife thinks so too. But when we're talking about intense and all-absorbing desire, my rice has no place at all. I'm telling you. If you really, uh, I was talking to Brother Polk one time, and he said uh, um, he'll eat rice in the morning, rice in the afternoon, rice, and he loves it. Now, that's, that's, that's not even intense enough. Okay? When you eat potato chips, you have to make it out of rice. Water should be made out of rice. That's what we call intense desire. You know, somebody that said God has called them to preach, and they haven't, you know, you haven't preached in two years? You haven't preached in one week? I want you to listen to what Jeremiah said. Actually, let me know. Let me paraphrase it for you. But let me give you the passage, just in case you, you're thinking about it. Jeremiah chapter 20. Verses 7 through 9. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. Let me paraphrase it. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. This is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, this desire to preach is in his body like what? Fire in my bones. It, It is shut up in my bones. And if you've ever had anything to deal with your bones, and there is an intense pain, you want it out. Jeremiah said, it is like fire. Shut up in my bones. Why? I haven't preached because the pastor hasn't given me a chance. Liar. There is chance. You go to Marine City, you can preach anywhere. We're talking about preaching now. Preaching the gospel. You think God wants to limit his preaching behind this pulpit? Too many of us are just too lazy. And some people before they preach, you have to give them five weeks notice. That's not like fire shot up in anybody's bones. Are you still with me? There must be an irresistible craving for the work of the ministry. If the work of the ministry is something you do every now and then, God has not called you to anything. Are we still together? Say, God has called me to preach. God has done it. Consider other things. Do something else. He hasn't called you to preach. He hasn't called you to be a pastor. You have to have that intense, irresistible desire to preach and teach the gospel. Preach and teach the gospel. Not only that, along with that, point number four, you must be able to teach. Teach. That is the one position in the church that God requires that whoever is doing it must be able to teach. And not only that, it is so important that in Titus and in uh, 2 Timothy, it is stressed that that person cannot be a recent convert. Are you following me? Must be able to teach. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, it is very clear in there that if you look at the Greek, it did not say some pastors and some teachers. That office is put together. It says some evangelists, some prophets, some this, and then it says some what? Pastors and teachers. Those of you who read Greek, go home and, and read it. It said Kai. Together, it is joined together. You cannot separate them. Pastor, teacher. If you can't teach You ain't called to be pastor. It's just that simple. Why do you think God will put the lives of people in your head when the most important thing to do in the church is to teach and you can't do it? You cannot exegete the word of God. You cannot do expositionary preaching. You cannot, you you don't even know the books of the Bible. You know, I'm telling you this out of experience, and I want you to listen very carefully. Uh, I used to teach for Golden Gate Seminary. And in a program that we had in San Francisco and in Oakland, it's called Pastoral Leadership Development. I had so many pastors come into that class. And I give them a test the first day. Take out a piece of paper and list the books of the Bible. I say, if you can't list the books of the Bible, God didn't call you to preach. Is that simple? How are you going to teach something that you don't even know it's in the Bible? There was a pastor in Oakland, and I'm going to uh, protect him by not mentioning his name and his church. And he got to his congregation, and he opened his Bible, and he told the congregation, open to the book of Tobit. T-O-B-I-T. And he started reading. The one thing he did not know at that time is that he had the New American Standard Bible, which included the Apocrypha, which was what the Catholics have in their Bibles. So he stayed up all week studying the book of Tobit. You hear me, Charles? (laughs) If you don't even know as a preacher that there are sixty six canonical books. You don't belong behind the pulpit. Maybe you belong as a priest in the Catholic church. Supposed to teach. Teach the gospel. How you going to teach the gospel you don't even know? The gospel doesn't come from our head. The gospel doesn't come from our feelings. The gospel doesn't, you believe me, if it's based on feelings and everything, you're going to hear me preach about rice every Sunday. Yeah, man, I'm thinking of rice right now. <laughs> We're going to have rice for the new membership class? Oh, well, maybe I won't show up. <laughs> <laughs> but but you understand the point I'm trying to teach you here is that it is about the word of God it is about the word of God to know how to teach it. Let me give you one more example and I'll move on. I was listening to a a radio program on on, uh, KTLN. It's a well-known Christian station, television station in the Bay Area. There was a man preaching, again from Oakland. And he kept saying, Well, uh, uh, the Lord wants us to speak in tongues. Uh, And you know how he wants us, and he was hooping it too. Uh, The the reason why I know he wants us to uh, uh, speak in tongues is uh, right here in the Bible. Uh, God, he was speaking English, and then he turned and said, Let's die. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He spoke in tongues right there, and then he turned it back into English and kept going. And I said, my God, on a TV, that church pays for that program to teach that nonsense. What he was saying was from the Bible, but what he did not know as a preacher is, the Bible was not written in English. Jesus did not speak English. He spoke Aramaic. And the word in there is there in Aramaic. and he's a teacher leading so many people as God wants you to speak in, in tongue that number one is rubbish if you take the whole bible you take first corinthians you take the, the book of ephesians you take the book of romans take first peter you know that is rubbish the gift of tongues is one of the gifts in the church Not everybody has the gift of tongues. Not everybody has the gift of administration. Not everybody has the gift of teaching. Not everybody has the gift of administration. We are given gifts according to what God believes we are able to carry out. You must be able to teach. And uh, I want you to help us with Titus chapter 6, I mean chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 and then uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7 if you, we're going to read that real quick. Do I still have some time there? Okay. Titus the the books are so close so we won't miss it. Titus chapter 3 I mean Titus chapter 1 and 1 uh, Timothy chapter three, Titus chapter one. Let's read that first. Titus chapter one, beginning with verse six, and reading through verse nine. Listen to what it says. An elder, it's talking about a pastor, talking about a bishop. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children, you know. Let me let me tell you this. The American culture says. One man, one woman is the teaching of the Bible. That is not true. That is not true. That is an American interpretation of the Bible. God in his system allows that a man be married to a woman. Adam, Eve. And from the beginning, it was one, one. Our sin broke into it. And if you are a good student of the Old Testament, you will see that some of the people that God used above measure, some of them had more than 300 wives. In the Bible, there are two people that the Bible specifically said you cannot have more than one wife, the deacons and pastors. That's it. Now, if you live in America. and you marry more than one wife, you have broken the law of the land, which the Bible tells us, specifically read Romans chapter 13, that we need to obey the law of the land. You belong in jail. Okay, let me go back to the Bible. That was just a side statement. Help me. Where did I stop? Okay. Husband of one wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I, I wish we had time. I wish we had time. How are you going to be a pastor when your children don't even come to church? Your children don't even believe in Jesus it may be because they see your life at home and it doesn't convince them so the the Bible says in so many words if you can't control your house you cannot control the church of God teaching is not just what we do by mouth amen lights it's not just what you say, Amen. You cuss like sailor in your house, and then you wondering where your children got that language from. Why are you talking like that, Amen? Listen. Whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's word, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent. Now, drunkenness means, it doesn't mean you can't drink. Okay? I don't drink just as a principle. Not because the Bible says that. Or well, some people just drink too much. They say, "Oh, I can hold my liquor." You liar! Every time you can say that, it's because somebody has questioned you, and they question you because they've seen something that you couldn't see when you were giving high five to everybody in the house. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly. Listen, that's the reason why I'm reading this. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Amen. It doesn't mean that the pastor has to be arrogant. But it means that the pastor needs to be strong behind the word of God. I have some ministers who after training, you know some ministers are with me and they don't know I'm noticing them. Amen. Because that's, that's what God has called me to do. So one day somebody's going to call me and ask me, what do you think about this person and I'm going to tell them the truth. Look at all these statements. You, you need to I'm scared myself. Look at them. Look at them. and you're playing around and you say, oh, <laughs> you know I'm a minister. You're lying to yourself. You must be strong in the word. You must obey the word. You must live the word in such a way that you are not going to have everybody complain about your life. And if you have children, amen. Amen. Your children must be such that they are trained in the word. And I'm not talking about when they're, you know, 19 or 20 or whatever, and they leave your house and they become whatever they're going to become. But while they're in your house, they must be trained. Nobody should be ordained whose children don't accept the Lord. I didn't say it. Read it. Who you want to preach to? And they point to your children. Say, so where they're old, but you have them for 18 years. Number five. Just to save time. You must be accepted by others as having this calling in your life. You must be accepted by others as having this calling in your life. Now, I don't have any specific scripture, but look at all the scriptures I listed at the beginning. But one thing I want to tell you is this. Look at Paul. Read the book of Acts very carefully. Read the book of Acts very carefully. when they ordain people who ordained them, by the elders, by the laying off of hands, and they' sending them out to do the work. We believe God is in your life. We believe God has called you, not just your own opinion. You're so quiet. People must accept that God has called you. And I mean Christians. And especially those who are already in the ministry. Must accept this call in your life. I had a minister here at Village Baptist. It's been a long time, so most of you don't know. I was being called to a church, to pastor, and the church called me. And the church says, we're interested in this man to be our pastor. I say, he's not your man. And of course, you know, some, some deacons and some leaders of other churches basically, well, he doesn't want him to leave his church. He wants him there, you know. He's working in there, you know. I kept telling him. I said, no, he's not your man. And then they sent Dickens to me to talk to me. They said, why? I said, I'm telling you, I'm his pastor. He is not pastor material. They said, we want him anyway. Now, the pastor is not always right, okay? But be careful when the pastor is telling you something from the word and is standing behind the word and you say you're going to do whatever you want to do. I have seen it many times. Absolutely. I've seen it many times and people regret it for the rest of their lives. They say, we want him anyway. I said, okay. Have you guys prayed? Well, we've prayed about it. And the Holy Spirit said, this is our man. I said, okay, I can't argue with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I know that I've had this man here for at least five years, and he ain't no pastor. Then they called me again. So they said, uh, uh, We're getting ready to put him in the pulpit officially. Will you come and preach? I said, I will come only on one condition. And they said, What condition? I said, You will let me say whatever God put on my heart. They said, Well, he wants you to be the preacher. So I went. Some of you were there, so don't tell everybody who I'm talking about. And I got in that pulpit that day and I said, you said God has called this man. I told you he wasn't the man, but you prayed about it, that this is your man, and I go with you if you said the Holy Spirit is telling you, because if the Holy Spirit is telling you, you must obey the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is telling you, you must support him 110%. Because God doesn't make any mistakes. He led to a lawsuit. A few months after. They called me, Pastor, come get him. I said, he's your pastor. I wash my hands. So it's really important now. If you desire to be a bishop, it's a good thing. But you better make sure God is calling you to it. And God has given you the gift to do it. Desire is not enough. So I'm watching you. Next time the pulpit committee from a church call me, I'm going to tell them the truth. Samuel didn't even know what was going on with him. Got up and went to Eli and said, did you call me? Said, no, I didn't call you. Go back and sleep. He went again. He heard it. He didn't know what was going on. He said, who is calling? It must be Eli. Eli, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go to sleep. When he came again, Eli said, wait a minute. The Lord must be dealing with this guy. Because I ain't crazy. I didn't call him. He said, well, when he came, he said, now, go back to sleep. Seriously. If somebody calls you again, just say, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Somebody else has to guide you in knowing what the call really is. Some of us have this deep desire, but desire for the wrong thing, the thing that you're not even called to do. I've I've been here too long. Let me go to the last point. The last point is you must show some fruit in your ministry. Amen? You must show some fruit in your ministry. I believe every preacher Ought to read John chapter 5 at least once a month. That's one verse in there that we're all familiar with. I am the vine. You are what? The branches. He who remains in me, and I in him, he it is that does what? Bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what. Nothing. If you're doing it in your power, you will get absolutely no result. But if you're doing it in God's power, you're going to find result. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're at rescue mission. If you're preaching the gospel and you're teaching the gospel, people are going to come to Christ. If you're preaching behind the pulpit at Village Baptist Church, if God has called you, people's life are going to be charged and they're going to give their lives to Christ. If you're preaching in Marin City. There used to be a front in Marin City, but I don't know what it is now. But if you're preaching anywhere in Marin City and people hear you, they're going to respond to the gospel because God is in your life. If you're preaching, it doesn't matter where you are. If God has called you, there should be some fruit in your life. Don't wait and say, I'm going to wait until I become a pastor. lost my glasses. In my pocket. You were watching me too. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You know Paul, Paul says it many times. He said, I don't know. There may not have been too many people that I can lay my hand on, that I can say that I, 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 I preached to them, they accepted the gospel. He named a few people that he has touched in his life. But he said, there's one thing I know. I planted, uh, uh, but Apollo waters. It's God who gives the increase. Neither he who plants, nor he who waters in anything, but God gives the increase. If God has called you, he didn't call you to just showmanship or show womanship, whatever it is God has called you to preach the gospel and when the gospel is preached, the power of the almighty God, the power of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit will touch the life of sinners and they will come running, what must I do to be saved there must be some fruit amen you can't blame it on village baptist church every time. Not just a quiet church. Amen. A preacher went and preached to the dry bones. Amen. Can you preach to dry bones? And just get the flesh to, no, 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 just the flesh to come on that. Just have the bones that have been scattered to come together again. And start hitting to each other. Uh, the, 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 the hind bone is on to the arm bone. And the, the leg bone, to the leg bone. And to the hip bone. And to the neck bone. And pretty soon they're coming together. God said, preach again. Preach to the dry bones. And flesh start coming on the dry bones. That is the gospel that God has called us. God has not called us to unfruitfulness. God said, preach the word. The instant in season and out of season. Preach and God will do his work. If you have been called, the angels will stand behind your preaching. If you have been called, the Father will stand behind your preaching. If you have been called, the song will stand behind your teaching. If you have been called, the Holy Spirit, the Numa of God will stand behind your pulpit. And the whole of heaven will move behind your preaching. Are you called? Are you called? Or do you call yourself? Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Let us pray.